Welcome to the Sunday message from Hollyview Church in Boring, Oregon. We gather each Sunday morning at 10.30 as a worshiping community of Jesus followers on mission to see God glorified in our lives, our cities, and around the world. At Hollyview, the Bible serves as our foundation and guide for both life and ministry. It tells the story of God and the story of us. We believe the better we know the themes and flow of the biblical story, the better we will be able to find our little place in God's grand storyline. Thank you for joining us. And now, here's this week's message from Hollyview Church as Pastor Joel preaches from the book of 2 Samuel, chapters 15 through 18, with a message entitled, It Begins with the Heart. I'm Joel Woodard. I'm a pastor here. I think I know just about everybody. Nice to, nice to see you guys. We had a great uh, Thanksgiving, and we're, I'm really excited to be back. But probably like you, it feels really odd. Uh, the days of the week have all, like, been all over the place. So uh, hearing from Anna and their family, I know there's a number of families that are like, boy, we got so much going on. And from here till Christmas, it just feels like it's super busy. Uh, And I was reminded uh, this week that that's one of the things that gathering as a community of believers uh, does. It actually refocuses us and recenters us. People have been doing this for thousands of years. Do you know that? We're not, we're not, the, we're not the first ones. We haven't invented something new here. Uh, we're actually just following a tradition of people that are following Jesus, that have gathered together on the Lord's Day, on the day he resurrected, to do a few uh, different things, uh, to worship together, uh, to pray, uh, and to hear God's word read. Uh, one of the traditions that we probably fallen out of, uh, at least for a little bit, is the reading of God's Word. Do You know, uh, we all have our own Bibles, which is awesome. What a gift. But for uh, the first 1,800 years after Jesus, or 1,700 years, people didn't have their own Bibles. And, and so they would long for each week, boy, I can't wait till we gather again to hear God's Word spoken over us. Uh, and so that's one of the things I want to do this morning. Before I bring the message, I, I uh, ask Four people, I just surprised them, but that's how it would have been in the early church too. You didn't know who was going to read, you couldn't prepare. Uh, And they would come up and they would unroll the scroll and they would say, in your hearing today, let me read from the scripture. And and so uh, we have uh, four people, so if you wouldn't mind coming up, and it doesn't really matter what order you you stand in. These are all scriptures about giving thanks. Uh, And the the practice I just want us to hear is just, let's have the word just read over us. Uh, We believe these are the words of God that are alive and active and and speak to us. So, Scott, we'll start with you, and then we'll just go down down the road. I always thank my God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus, from 1 Corinthians 1, 4. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. 2 Corinthians 9.11 For everything God created is good, and nothing is to be rejected, if it is received with thanksgiving, because it is consecrated by the word of God and prayer. 1 Timothy 4, 4-5 Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. 1 Chronicles 16, 34. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful. Colossians three fifteen. 
Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. Colossians 4, 2. Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. First Thessalonians 5, 16 to 18. <clears throat> Do not be anxious about anything. Evening standing up here. <laughs> Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and pet petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Philippians 4, 6-7 But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will make good. What I will say, salvation comes from the Lord. Jonah 2, 9 The Lord is my strength and my shield. In him my heart trusts and I am helped. My heart exults and with my song I give thanks to him. Psalm 28, 7 Offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving and perform your vows to the Most High. Psalm 50, 14 There we go. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Let's, let's uh, just pray one more time. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you how you have revealed your, your heart to us through your word. And Lord, I, I pray that as we um, spend the next few moments uh, diving deep into what your word says, uh, contemplating uh, a story that was written so long ago, but written for us today, uh, I pray that you would, um, you would speak to each one of us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Great. And I'd like to begin today, I'm going to uh, actually ask you to, to stand again. I'd like to begin by reading uh, from a portion of scripture in 2 Samuel 15. Uh, we kind of have our work cut out for us today. I'm going to do four chapters, and I'm going to try and do the four chapters in, in 30 minutes. So uh, you got to buckle up, hang on, let's, let's, uh, let's go. In your pew Bibles, you can find it on t page 249. We're going to be in 2 Samuel, beginning in verse uh, 13. 2 Samuel 15, 13. And a messenger came to David, saying, The hearts of the men of Israel have gone after Absalom. Then David said to all his servants who were with him at Jerusalem, Arise, let us flee, or else there will be no escape from, uh, for us from Absalom. Go quickly, lest he overtake us quickly, and bring down ruin on us, and strike the city with the edge of the sword. And the king's servants said to the king, Behold, your servants are ready to do whatever my lord the king decides. So the king went out, and all his household after him. And the king left ten concubines to keep the house. And the king went out, and all the people after him. And they halted at the last house. Stop right there, and then skip down to verse 30. But David went up the ascent of the Mount of Olives, weeping as he went, barefoot and with his head covered. And all the people who were with him covered their heads, and, and they went up, weeping as they went. And it was told David, Ahithophel is among the conspirators with Absalom. And David said, O oh Lord, please turn the counsel of Ahithophel into foolishness. We'll stop right there. You can have a, have a seat uh, again. Uh, David's son Absalom has rebelled against his father, uh, David, the king, 
Uh, it's turned the hearts of the people, and, and David, rather than confronting his son, uh, decides to just leave and takes all the people uh, with him. And he also hears uh, of really his top advisor, his top counselor, defecting uh, to Absalom as well. Well, before we dive into the message, I want to set, I want to set this message up a little bit, uh, because I want to share with you uh, some crisis and trauma training that I received as a chaplain that, that I'm hope, hopefully it'll help you, but also uh, it'll, it'll, it goes along with the, the message, it illustrates the message as well. Um, when, you, uh, when you're told, if you're asked to come up and give a speech in public, uh, I don't know if, if anyone else, uh, it, that makes them nervous, but if you, this could help with that, uh, hopefully. Uh, it could help if you're ever in a car accident. Uh, it, hopefully this, this training will, will help if a spider runs over your leg. Um, because usually in those kind of situations, the same thing is, is really happening in, inside of you. Um, so when I asked those four people this morning or, or uh, anyone, if, would you come up and give a speech? If you're anything like me, there's something that's going on inside of you. And uh, maybe there's a few odd people uh, that it doesn't. But normally, uh, you're asked to give a speech, and all of a sudden, what? Your heart starts going a little bit faster. Uh, maybe you start sweating a little bit. Um, some people even, even shake. You can see they're so nervous. They're shaking up there. And usually by the time they get back down to their seats, they're like, I don't remember a thing I said. Have you ever experienced that? Yeah. Uh, that happens like in car accidents afterwards. Uh, if, if something's traumatic or like huge happens, uh, all those things start happening. And here, here's, the, here's the point of it. So this crisis training that I, I received, it actually says all that stuff, that whole process, it actually doesn't start in your head. It starts in your heart. Uh, so let me explain. Um, so as you get up front like this to speak, uh, this is an unusual situation. And so your heart will just start beating faster, uh, which tells your brain, and I'm not quite sure what's going on here, but my heart's at an, in, like an increased rate. So we don't know what's going on. So we need to get that heart beating faster to prepare for whatever is coming up. Uh, and so your, your, your brain actually responds to your heart and says, beat faster, be ready, we don't know what's, we don't know what's coming. Uh, and then when, you're, when you're, your head tells your heart, heart to start beating faster, it, your heart sends signals to your brain, something really bad is going on here, you need to really pump it up. So your heart just goes like that, and it's a cycle. We've all been in that before, if you've seen a spider or a spoken, and there's a few odd people who don't have that response at all, but those are odd, those are odd people. Uh, the, the, really, the point, the, really, the point of this whole thing is that it begins uh, with your, your heart and, and not your, your brain. Now, once your speech is over or you go sit down, uh, you feel like, oh, I survived that situation. I haven't known of anyone who have died from a speech but yet, when we get up to give a speech, we have all those impulses, like we're going to die. When really, logically, we know we're not going to die. But, but your head is responding to your, your heart in, in that situation. And when it's over with, your brain tells your heart, oh, we're not dead. You can take a deep breath and calm down. But it all begins with the heart. Now, in the same way this morning, as our crisis response all begins with, with the heart, and we can actually calm that down by saying we're going to survive, we're going to be all right. 
Today we're going to see that all of our actions, our emotions, our words, what we do and what we say, it actually begins with our hearts. Now sometimes uh, the thoughts that we have are not rational. Uh, they're emotion-based. Uh, they're based from like hurt or bitterness or pain that all kind of rise up. But, but you also might be thinking, you know what, I'm not an emotional person. I'm very logical, I'm very reasonable, and, and so I think through things very well, and I, I, I tend to think I do the wisest thing possible. But what if, even when you're thinking in your right mind and you're thinking the best conclusion you can, it's actually a response from your heart? And in your heart, as it starts and tells your brain something, your brain's like, well, that seems logical. I think we're going to do that. Well, today, as we come back to our text, we're going to see a man named Ahithophel, one of the wisest people. His job was a counselor. His job was advice. His job was to see situations and give advice to the king. And we're going to see the words, his actions, his advice to the king. Uh, they really revealed a lot about what was going on in his heart. What, what seemed like good advice was actually just an overflow of his heart. Well, we'll be considering uh, this guy named Ahithophel. Ahithophel. Can you say that with me? Ahithophel? It's a, kind of a weird, weird name, Ahithophel. Not many kids named Ahithophel anymore. We're going to look at Ahithophel, his vice, and see what it reveals about his, his heart. So let's dive in. Uh, we're, we're going to be going through a, a lot of chapters quickly, so I'm going to have to summarize a lot, and we're just going to touch down in a, a few things. 2 Samuel 15 uh, is actually, if you read about it, it's actually Absalom's move. It's a political trail that he is... Uh, He's vying at the gate to get people to follow him and not his father. He's using manipulation. He's lying. He's doing whatever he can to make it look like he's, like the vote's going to just slam in his, his favor. Uh, he's not very honest um, in what he is, is doing. But people, their hearts begin to drift towards him. And I, and I don't think it's as much um, how great Absalom is, but how frustrated and sad and disappointed they are with the king right now. Uh, David hasn't been doing great the last seven years, and so people are frustrated with him, and so their hearts start laying, well, maybe Absalom is, is the answer to that. Uh, Absalom's got to be uh, better. So people start drifting over, but not only just the people, this advisor, Ahithophel. Now, Ahithophel had been with David since the very beginning. When he was in the caves and hiding out from Saul, Ahithophel was with him, uh, giving advice, giving his wisdom. He was an older man uh, than David. Uh, Ahithophel was connected to David in a lot of uh, very, um, lots of strings uh, there. Uh, Ahithophel was the father of a guy named Eliam. Now, Eliam, you'll find him in 2 Samuel 23. Eliam was actually one of David's mighty men. It was like the SEAL Team 6, like 30-some, 30 37 guys that were around David, his special forces. Well, Eliam was part of that, and Ahithophel was one of his, uh, was his dad. So, so Ahithophel was there as a counselor. His son was one of the guards for David. I mean, he was linked with David. Uh, Eliam, which was another interesting uh, man, because Eliam is actually the, the father of uh, a lady. Now, stay with me here. Uh, is a lady that we read about in 2 Samuel 11, and you'll, you'll know this lady. Uh, her name is Bathsheba. Uh, Bathsheba was the daughter of Eliam, who was the son of Ahithophel. Ahithophel was the grandpa of Bathsheba. Ahithophel was giving 
counsel and advice and perspective to a man who lusted, stole, killed his grandson-in-law, destroyed a marriage, and Ahithophel was there the whole time. Well, we might remember the story of Bathsheba in this, because as Ahithophel's name comes up, that he is deserted uh, to Absalom, the, the story of Bathsheba should be in our minds because of the, the connection. So let me just really quickly summarize Bathsheba's story. One of the most well-known stories of David. There's songs written about it. Uh, the whole army is out to war except for King David. David's on his couch. He gets up, stretches, goes out to his roof. And on the roof, as he's looking out from the roof, he looks and sees this beautiful woman uh, from his roof and takes this woman uh, sleeps with her, she gets pregnant, he's stuck. He ends up devising this whole scheme that uh, Uriah, who was actually another mighty man, so he was friends with Eliam, they were all, all connected. Uh, he sends them uh, out to battle, and in this battle, David's whole plan is, uh, I want to kill Uriah. I want to kill Bathsheba's uh, husband. This whole battle and the whole plan was, I want to kill this one, this one guy. Uh, he's successful. And as Uriah is dead, David takes Bathsheba then and brings her home to him, like, like a wife coming to her husband. Uh, David, from that roof, sees this beautiful woman, takes her, kills her husband, brings, brings her to him as a wife to uh, a groom. Uh, do you think there was any pain or hurt in Ahithophel's life? Uh, you grandparents, how would you feel if this was your granddaughter? How would you feel about their, their marriage? So as Absalom takes over and says, uh, uh, get out of the way, David, you're not doing a great job, I'm taking over, uh, Ahithophel's like, great, I'm switching teams. Uh, I'm, I'm going to go uh, and be with, with Absalom now. now we're going to read just a, a section of Ahithophel's advice to Absalom. Uh, and, but without the backstory of Bathsheba, without knowing who Ahithophel is, this advice m seems right, seems good. But as we read it, I, I hope even uh, as we've set the story up, as we read it, I hope, you're, I hope things start tricking. Oh, this, he's speaking from this place of, of hurt and revenge and pain in his heart. And, and so I want to read it, and then I want to point out three things that this reveals about the heart of Ahithophel. Uh, here, here are the words of Bathsheba's grandfather, Ahithophel. In 2 Samuel uh, 16, it's on page two, 250 in your pew Bibles. We'll start in uh, verse 20. 2 Samuel 16, 20. Then Absalom said to Ahithophel, give your counsel. What shall we do? Ahithophel said to Absalom, go into your father's concubines, whom he has left to keep the house. And all Israel will hear that you have made yourself a stench to your father. And the hands of all who are with you will be strengthened. So they pitched a tent for Absalom on the roof. And Absalom went into his father's concubines in the sight of all Israel. Uh, chapter 17 now, verse 1. Moreover, Ahithophel said to Absalom, uh, let me choose 12,000 men, and I will arise and pursue David tonight. I will come upon him while he is weary and discouraged and throw him into a panic. 
and all the people who are with him will flee. And I will strike down only the king. And I will bring all the people back to you as a bride comes home to her husband. You seek the life of only one man, and all the people will be at peace. And the advice seemed right in the eyes of Absalom and all the elders of Israel. It seemed like really good advice, but I'd like to make some observations. It points out three things. It reveals three things about the heart of Ahithophel. If you're taking notes, write this down. Here's point number one. It reveals a deep hurt. His advice reveals a deep hurt. So, so Absalom's first, his, his first day in office, he's in Jerusalem. He goes, okay, what, what should I do now? Well, let's ask the guy who's been with David, who, who's given advice to this king for so long. Okay, Ahithophel, what should, what should I do? What, what's my first uh, act as the new king? What should it be? And Ahithophel's advice is, uh, go sleep with all your father's concubines. Let everybody know. Now, this is actually normal advice uh, in that, during that time frame. It's when the king would overtake another king. He would take his family, and he would sleep with the wives, and it would be like, your family's now my family. I've got the power. I've got the strength. It seemed like uh, normal uh, political uh, advice that he has. But the details we get, even in the story, is a bit odd. So they say they, they pitched a tent on the roof. On, on the roof. Well, why tell us exactly where? Because that place for Ahithophel and for Bathsheba and for Uriah and for so many was a place of pain and hurt. He hated that place. Could you imagine? I hate the place where David was when he first lusted at my granddaughter. I hate it from that place that he ruined a family. I hate that place. So then Ahithophel's advice for, for, for Absalom on his first day is, let's get even. Let's get revenge. Let, let's make David pay. Let's shame him. Let's hurt him. Let's, let's hurt him back. We have this opportunity now to just get back at David. But even in that, even in that act, he wasn't just hurting David. Uh, he was hurting lots of people. Imagine all the fathers and grandfathers of those concubines, all the children and the family and the friends. I learned a phrase a number of years ago that I think really holds true, at least in my experience. The phrase is really simple. Hurt people, hurt people. Hurt people, hurt people. Uh, the people that are, that are hurting that when there's pain inside of them, the easiest thing to do is want to hurt someone else. If, if someone uh, does something to hurt you, you're going to lash back and, and get them. And so that revenge, that anger, that, that pain inside of you is actually just revealed when you're trying to hurt someone else. When you're trying to hurt someone or get revenge on someone else, it actually reveals in your heart that there's some hurt or pain you haven't dealt with. And, and the opposite's true as well. When someone's trying to hurt you, Knowing that that person is hurting inside, there, there's something wrong, there's some pain that they're experiencing. And so why they're hurting you is because they're in, in pain. If you, if you hurt others, there, it just reveals there's a pain in your, own, in your own heart. 
So, so how do you stop that when your heart starts beating faster and you want to get the revenge? How do you stop that? I think the first thing is recognizing there's a hurt and a pain inside of you and that needs to be healed. It needs to be fixed, uh, fixed somehow. So somehow there's something wrong with our hearts that needs to be, that needs to be fixed. Ahithophel's advice, it reveals this really deep hurt inside him, this really deep pain that he's, he's carried for years. Here's number two. Number two, it reveals a longing for justice. Ahithophel's advice reveals a longing for justice. He has this sense that he needs to make things right again. How do you, how do you tip the scales of justice back to where they're even again? See, David, he hadn't just uh, taken Bathsheba. He'd actually sent Uriah into battle and killed an innocent man, a man who had done nothing other than had married to Bathsheba. He'd done nothing. He'd ruined a life. Uh, David had ruined a marriage, a family. Uh, the scales of justice were imbalanced, and David had caused it. So Ahithophel's the second advice. If you, if you notice, he goes like this. Uh, okay, not only just sleep with the women, because I'm hurting and I want you to get back at David. Uh, let's see if we can tip the scales of justice again. So he says, let me take 12,000 men, and the advice is that we're going to go into war, and I'm just going to kill one guy. Does that sound familiar? We're going to go into war. I'm just going to kill one, one guy. I'm just going to kill David. And then I'm going to bring all the people back like a bride to a groom. Uh, Ahithophel's plan was, uh, let's reverse what David had done to Uriah and Bathsheba. Let's see if we can get justice back up there. Because David had done so wrong. He had ruined this marriage. Let's see if we can just kill him in battle. And then we'll take all the people back. And I'll, I'll, we'll take them and give them back uh, to you. So that David could feel what it is. And that, that he, could, he could fix it. He wants to fix what's wrong. Fix the injustice. He wants to make it right. And that's a good feeling. That's a right feeling. It, justice. We all, we all long for justice. But the problem is, is that Ahithophel or Absalom, they, they couldn't do it. Uh, there is a, there's a piece of all of us, I think, that longs for, for this justice. That the innocent would be set free. That the guilty would be punished. That the broken would be fixed. That the hurt would be healed. We, we long for that and we try to tip the scales of, of justice. But the truth of the matter is broken hearts can't fix broken hearts. Broken people can't get the scales of justice even. And we see Ahithophel, he meets a very tragic end. Uh, he gives him some advice, and then he gets this other advice from this guy who had come from David who was trying to subvert Ahithophel's advice. And David ends up uh, believing his advice, and so he goes a whole different way with it. And when that, that happens, Ahithophel, because he's in pain and hurting and he can't see justice, it, He's just left without hope. 2 Samuel 17, 23 tells this little story about that. When Ahithophel saw that his counsel was not followed, he saddled his donkey, went off home to his own city. He set his house in order and hanged himself. And he died and was buried in the tomb of his father. He, he couldn't get justice there. He couldn't heal the hearts. But stay with me. 
because there is also one thing that is revealed in Ahithophel's heart and also confirmed in David's heart and confirmed in all of our heart. There's this hope for redemption. That's number three. His advice reveals a longing for redemption. Ahithophel tells Absalom, seek the life of one man and all the people will be at peace. One man for the many. Could it be that this one man's death could satisfy and bring peace and justice to everyone? Is it possible? Could it, could it be? And that advice, it seemed good. All the elders and Absalom and everyone's like, yeah, that's what we need. We need one man to give his life to to bring justice and heal hearts and restore and redeem everything. That's what we need. It seemed good. But then if you think about it, if David dies, if they actually do go through with it and David dies, does it actually bring peace? Does it bring peace to Absalom? What about Ahithophel? What about all the concubines? What about Bathsheba? Does it bring peace and justice in the world? And no, there's still going to be hurt. There's still going to be injustice. And it's never, justice is not satisfied in the death of, of King David. Well, David's uh, army actually goes out and ends up getting into the battle with uh, Absalom. But, but David's advice to his army is actually the exact opposite uh, of Absalom. He says, go and attack them, but just there's one guy, don't, don't touch him. Don't touch Absalom. Be gracious with him. He's my son. I know he's rebelled. and I know he is trying to overthrow me. But be gracious with him. Don't, don't kill that one man, Absalom. Spare him. Well, in the heat of battle, you can read about it. In the heat of battle, uh, some, I, and I still haven't figured out how this works, uh, Absalom is riding uh, his donkey and he gets stuck in a tree. I don't know how that, I've tried to imagine what that would be like. It said his head's like stuck. I don't know if he gets stuck in a branch or and he's just dangling there. And it seems like for a long time, uh, I'll leave that up to you. Go read about it and do your own commentary. He's stuck in this tree and these people are like, oh, there's Absalom. What are we supposed to do with him? And Joab, if you remember Joab, he's the commander of uh, David's army. He's the one that made the way so that Absalom could come home again. And then Absalom rejects David as king and tries to become king. And Joab, in a fit of revenge and raid, just kills him right there hanging in that, that tree. Uh, a son that betrayed and tried to kill David himself is killed by the commander who must have been hurt by Joab. How could you do this to me? Uh, but we get the, the words and response of of David at the end of chapter 18. We're going to end with this in just one more thought. So 2 Samuel 18 and verse 31. And behold, the Cushite came, and the Cushite said, Good news for my lord the king, talking to David. For the Lord has delivered you this day from the hand of all who rose up against you. The king said to the Cushite, Is it well with the young man Absalom? I don't care about anybody else. What about Absalom? And the Cushite answered, May the enemies of my lord, the king, and all who rise up against you for evil be like that young man. And the king was deeply moved and went up to his chamber over the gate and wept. 
And as he went, he said, Oh, my son Absalom, oh, my son, my son, my son Absalom, would, had, would I had died instead of you? Oh, Absalom, my son, my son. See, I think in that moment, David's heart is so much like ours. There's this, this pain that's deep pain that's been caused by his son rebelling, but also this sense of, of justice. Something has to be done to, to tilt the justice so that it's uh, satisfied again. And I also think David knew that he couldn't do it. Oh, if I could have died in your place, but that wouldn't have, that wouldn't have fixed anything. It, it wouldn't have healed the hurts. It wouldn't have satisfied justice. So I think as you get to the end of chapter 18, you get the hints of, this, of David's greater son, Jesus. The one who would be worthy to both satisfy justice and heal the hearts of humanity and bring peace. That's what Christmas is all about. That one man came and the death of one man brings peace to all. Well, it all begins with the heart. Uh, Jesus said in Matthew 12, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Uh, out of the abundance of the heart, that we move and we have uh, our relationships with people. We, we uh, rebel, we hurt people, we also care for people. It all comes from, uh, from our heart. So the end of the message today, I want to challenge you and encourage you. We don't need someone to change our behaviors. We don't need someone to monitor our speech. What we really need as broken people, is someone to change our hearts. Someone that could fix what is broken inside of us. And the good news is that Jesus did that. Uh, he did that as living a perfectly righteous life, going to the cross and dying for each one of us as a substitute. That could heal and mend our hearts, take our hearts of stone and make them hearts of flesh. He could completely satisfy justice and righteousness so that his justice and righteousness is then given as a gift to you. You don't have to live with the shame and the guilt or the revenge or the anger. So how do we, how do we respond to this message? Um, I, I think it's this. When you get the impulse for uh, revenge or hurting or to get back at someone or, or to say that word to your brother or sister or that person in the street or your spouse or whoever, you have this impulse of what's there, just stop for a moment and realize, I'm about to react to something that my heart wants to do. It's a heart issue. It's, it's not that other person issue. It's, it's my own heart's issue. So, so I would say stop, take a breath, a deep breath. And then bring it to Jesus. Recognize, Lord, there's something in me that's broken, that's, that's hurting. And I know if I get back at this person, I'm still going to carry that hurt. Justice is not going to be satisfied. So you lay it at Jesus' feet. He's the only one that can bring justice and satisfy that. So I'm going to invite the uh, worship team to come back up and we'll res respond to the message, uh, but as we're, as we're worshiping, I just want to ask, what's, what are your actions and your words? What do they reveal about your heart? Um, and, and what do you need Jesus to do with your, with your heart in that? Let's, let's pray. Lord, as we enter into a, a super busy season, um, in an era that is um, 
so devastated with division and anger and lies and corruption. Lord, would you um, change our hearts so that we could re respond to the world that's hurting, that's longing for someone to make things right again. Lord, would we point people to you, the, the little king that was born 2,000 years ago, that's the answer for our hurting hearts and to restore justice, to redeem mankind and creation. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for joining us for this message from Hollyview Church. We invite you to join us in person for our worship service every Sunday morning at 1030. You can find us on Southeast 257th Avenue, just off of Highway 212 between Boring and Damascus, Oregon. Or find us online at hollyviewchurch.com. Together, we are being shaped by the gospel, rooted in God's word, to share God's grace and truth. Again, whether online or in person, thank you for joining us here at Hollyview Church. Thank you.